Welcome to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast, your home for stories, inspiration, and advice from athletes over 40. I'm your host, Robin Leggett. I'm a later in life athlete who became a roller derby skater in my 30s and a runner and obstacle racer in my 40s. Now I'm an athletic aging coach who helps women over 40 experience the massive life benefits that come with exploring your athletic potential at any age and any fitness background. If that fires you up, keep listening. Let's do this. Dr. Stacy Sims is an applied researcher, innovator, and entrepreneur in the field of human performance, specifically sex differences in training, nutrition, and environmental conditions. Scientific studies in the field of health, fitness, and sports performance have traditionally been done primarily with male populations, leading to incomplete, flawed, and at times completely incorrect information being disseminated to the public through popular media. Stacy is on a mission to change this. She is the co-author of the popular book, Roar, which was identified as one of the top fitness books of all time on Book Authority and the top fitness book for women in 2020 on Very Well Fit. Leading with her mantra, women are not small men, Dr. Stacey Sims has become one of the leading voices in women's health and sports performance. I read the book Roar back in 2019, and it has become a reference guide for me as an athlete and a coach. I have taken the Dr. Stacey Sims Women Are Not Small Men and Menopause for Athletes courses, and I'm incredibly excited for the follow-up to Roar designed for older populations, which we talk about in this interview. Although her work covers women's health and sports performance at all stages of life, what I love about our conversation is that we really hone in on what active women need to know during perimenopause and beyond. So yeah, suffice to say, I couldn't be more excited to have her on this podcast. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Stacy Sims. Hi, Stacy. Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? Yes, looking forward to it. Uh, as am I. So first of all, I'm really excited to have you here because uh, as, as we had a little chat beforehand, but your book Roar has become pretty much a coaching reference guide for me. Um, I'm happy that I have it on Kindle because I can go in and actually search things. I've read the book, obviously, but now I go in and when I need a refresher on a very specific topic, I'll just search it in Kindle and pull it up. Um, so it, I use it all the time as a reference guide. I've taken your Women Are Not Small Men course. I am currently going through your Menopause for Athletes course. I have gifted Roar to several of my clients and they talk about it too. So um, this is a big deal. This is a big deal for me. Uh, so thank you for taking the time to join me on Season Athlete today. Yeah, no worries. Awesome. Exciting. Um, so you're on the forefront of changing the conversation around women in sport, women living active lives. And that is, you know, our topic of conversation around here. And, you know, prior to these conversations for decades, it's been misinformation or no information. So we're going to clear some things up for people who need to have things cleared up today. But before we do that, I'm going to ask the question I ask all my guests, and that is, what is your age at this moment in time? Yes. So I am 47. We're um, very close in age. So yeah, I'm there you go. Yeah. There you go. Awesome. So I like to go back in time and, and kind of work our way to where you are today. And I want to talk about your athletic life in particular. So what did your early athletic life look like? Did you play sports growing up? No, I was an army brat. So we played, you know, in the fields and yards with 
whomever we met up with, but um, consistently did ballet. Oh, wow. I kind of laugh about now um, <laughs> until, yeah, until I was about 13. And uh, my instructor was telling me I needed to choose between ballet and running. And she recommended running because I had started running for, you know, all of the reasons you do when you hit puberty because your body starts changing. Um, yeah, yeah. Some people do. I didn't do it. Um, <laughs> I avoided that for many, many, many years, but smart. apparently some people do that. Yeah. I was one of those people. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So I picked running over ballet cause she is like, yeah, I was getting too wide and gangly, I guess, to be a dancer. And, um, so went with running. Awesome. And then, um, how did that continue into adulthood? Did you continue running? Did you, pivot into anything else? Um, I ran cross country and stuff in high school um, and then got pretty burnt out with regards to running. So when I got to Purdue, um, I was looking for something to do. And one of my friends said, you should try out for the crew team, the rowing team. Um, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. So that's when I gravitated to rowing and kept running in the background, but not competitively. Uh, but that said, I did end up doing 20 marathons before I was 20. Wow. And so I know I was like all in or nothing. Yeah, um, so. <laughs> I understand that. I'm kind of that personality as well. It's like, if I like something, I go, I love it and I'll do it all the time. That's how I've run yeah. over 60 Spartan races since I was 41. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. So, yeah. So I have that personality trait as well. You just had it from a much earlier age. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then went from running and got into ultra running and cycling from another friend did stint with triathlon and Ironman. Um, then found bike racing, bike racing is my love. So, so I was road, um, doing the world cup circuit and stuff on the road bikes. Uh, then had to choose between cycling career and husband. And it was, you know, okay, probably should give up the road cycling and uh, gravitated back to Xterra because then my husband could do some of the training and, and adventures with me. Then after I did Worlds for the first time, um, motivated to go back and then found out two weeks before I was to do the new course in Maui, I was pregnant. Mm. I did that. And then after I had my kid, had all sorts of things go and not competitive from that sense, because things shift. So not have the drive to do long endurance stuff anymore. Right. We had the ultimate athlete this weekend, which is an obstacle course race. So those kinds of things, lots of fun. If it's not an adventure, I don't want to do it. Um, but just try to stay fit. So lifting ocean swimming, obstacle course racing, some off-road running, definitely off-road cycling. So, yeah. So now it's That's less, it's less like following a very specific competitive circuit and more like what lights me up mentally, what sounds like fun to do, what can I yep. do with family, like things like that. Yep. And weather driven in New Zealand. Well, sure. Sure. <laughs> Can't plan anything here. You wake up, you're like, is it raining? Is it, what is it doing today? So I don't understand, yeah. you know, here in, in California and specifically in San Diego, and I was previously in LA, like, I don't understand that. They'll tell, us, they'll tell us it's raining and we'll be like, whatever. <laughs> I'll believe I know. it. <laughs> it's one of the reasons I miss home for that stability of weather and weather patterns. Right. And the thing about like New Zealand is they say, oh, well, summer starts on the 1st of December. I'm like, the weather doesn't line up to that. And I could hold on through winter if I knew that I was going to get this big, long block of warm, sunny summer weather. But no. 
Wait, no, so, that's not how it yeah. goes. They just have yeah. to set a date so it's on the calendar, but they can't control what happens. So, nope. so I guess, so, you know, it's a, it's a yeah. little adventurous, like, you know, you get that aspect, but if you're looking for predictability of weather, you weren't, you were no, not. Thank you. No, thank I you. like SoCal weather. It's very predictable. Love well, it. We'll come back anytime. <laughs> okay. It'll, it'll be here for you. So let's transition into how you ended up doing the work you're doing now. Uh, so yeah. what, what led you to getting into you know, exercise physiology for women and starting to really dig into this research in sex differences in sport and fitness. Um, so like I said, when I was at Purdue and started rowing, um, lots of different types of people on the crew team. And uh, I started as a poli-sci French major because I wanted to be a translator for the UN, but was really bored with poli-sci. And some of my teammates were like, you know what, you should try this exercise physiology. You know, we're looking at biomechanics for uh, learning how to do technique and stuff. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. So I got into ex-phys and you start doing all these labs, you know, learning about fat metabolism, carbohydrate metabolism, how muscles work, body composition, all that kind of stuff. And then the more I got into it and interested in it, the more I realized that it wasn't applicable to me as a female athlete or any of my teammates. So I started asking the questions, well, what's going on? And because I was one of the only athletes in the labs, I would always be a participant and they'd often throw out my results saying, well, this is weird. This is an anomaly. We're just going to go with the guys. And I'm like, wait, no, that's not right. <laughs> so that was the first time I really started going, hey, what's going on here? I'm, a, I'm working just as hard as these guys. Why are you throwing my results out? And that's the first time I ever heard we don't know enough about men. Why do we want to study women? Or women are grouped in with men and them being like an 18-year-old smartass going, no, and that's not the right answer. Yeah. Um, so really dug my heels in and really started asking those questions. And every class that you got into that was more and more advanced still ignored women. Unless it was talking about the pathophysiological aspects of low bone density, poor iron absorption, iron deficiency, eating disorders. And it's like, this doesn't represent any of the women that I know who are involved in athletics. Um, and then interning with the... Uh, um, high performance athletes and getting questions from them and going, wait a second, there's still this big gap. And that was 20 some years ago. And it's still, still there, but we're starting to see some changes over the past three or so years. It's about time, but I've been saying this doing research for you now most of, most, if not all of my adult life, trying to get answers and getting people to understand that women aren't small men. Right. And how can we make women better because they work just as hard and they want to get the results that they're following methodologies and guidelines that aren't based on physiology, their physiology, our physiology, then they're lo losing so much performance potential. It makes me mad. I mean, it makes all of us mad, <laughs> but it's fascinating to me that, you know, you were starting to talk about this. You said about 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Which you... For you, it's like, I have been doing this for 20 years. Why is no one listening to me? And yet someone else could be like, it's only been 20 years. And like that, that this just started like, yeah. you know, yeah, that someone yeah. started to talk about it. And it's only in the last three years that anyone's doing anything about it. That must be frustrating for you. <laughs> it is. It is because throughout my, like, I am an introverted extrovert, despite what people think. And so every time I would get pushed back of saying, 
you're not a real scientist. Why are you studying women? It's too difficult to study women. I'd get a huge knock from a, a like a confidence. Yeah. So put myself into this like shell, but really trying to push forward. So my whole career has been these pushbacks from physicians, from other sports scientists, from peers, from colleagues. And I'm just like, because I want justice for women. <laughs> it's like, yeah. when you look at the data, you cannot generalize this shit to women because it just doesn't work. No. <laughs> so it's not that I'm angry. I'm just, I'm a fair and just person. So I want things to be right for us. Yeah. So that's why I keep doing it. Yeah. And I get, maybe it's that personality that led you to run 20 marathons before you were 20. That's kept yeah. you like dogged in this pursuit. Yeah. Every time someone tried to knock you down, you didn't stop. You kept going. You pushed back. You were stubborn, you know? And Maybe it's a perfectionist. I don't know. I'm not really a perfectionist. My husband will say I am, but maybe that's part of the trait of I want things to be as accessible and perfect for whomever wants it. So if you're a young kid and you want to be a fast runner, what kinds of things can we do to make you fast? Mm -hmm. If you are a teen, teenage girl, same thing, teenage boy, the same thing. I want everyone to have the even playing field to be able to get what they want and reach their own performance potential. And the physiological needs for all of them are different. Exactly. Yeah. So it's important to designate that. So yeah, what do you think changed in the last three years to actually lead to some of this information becoming accepted and talked about, what do you think changed? Um, so there's been more of a global movement of female athletes finding their voice in the professional world. Uh, there's been a, a strong movement in um, understanding period poverty and making period products accessible. So there's been a groundswell of, of, I guess, more sociocultural aspects around menstruation and the menstrual cycle and, then you have the sporting aspect that comes over it. And there are more and more women who are finding strength in sport and want to break away from that ideal that a female athlete is always on the edge of being sick. So yeah. always on the edge of having relative energy deficiency in sport. So it's more and more of that role modeling and social media that's pushed forth. Um, and then some of the research is also starting to catch up because the age of the people that are now becoming editors of journal journals has now become a little bit more modernized instead of the archaic old white dude. Um, right. These, these people, your, your peers when you were undergrad and they're, they're still fighting some of them though, mm -hmm. but yeah, but some, you know, because of, of, like stereotypes being switched in households where there's equality, more equality between uh, partners. So it's more of an eye-opening and more of a modernization. Can't say that that's really the reason from the journal aspect in the past three years, but I think there's been more of a global awareness that women work hard and they want results. And these are the things we really need to reinvestigate. And then I think the really big tipping point was some of the cancer research and now COVID, where they're looking at the really good outcomes for cancer patients are those with breast cancer, because the research has been done specifically on women. But you look at all the other cancer outcomes for women, and they're not as robust and not as great as it is for men. And they're like, wait, we need to go in and redo this chemotherapy and radiotherapy research to improve the outcomes of women. 
That's really interesting. COVID. That's really interesting. Yeah. And it yeah. makes complete sense. Yeah. So and it's then trickling like, to other areas. Yeah. And then COVID is the big push because the vaccine is very efficacious in women and the virus hits men harder. Except for long COVID hits women harder. So now the medical society who's all, all in on working on COVID is now going, wait a second, there are these sex differences. So that's going to be discussed in a wider environment. So there's a whole bunch of things that have all come together in the past three to five years that's now encompassing this conversation in younger women, in the premenopausal women. Yes. That's the thing. That's an excellent yeah. segue. <laughs> I'll start, you know, I'm glad for that, but yeah, it's, owe- it's a start. It's a start. Yeah. But again, yeah. aging women are continue to be the most overlooked, ignored and forgotten population. Exactly. And this, yeah. this is evidence of that, that the, the research is still slower for this population. Yeah. And the one thing that I keep pointing out to people is that most of the aging research um, is looked at a linear fashion because men will age at a linear rate, right? So you'll see slow decline over the course of the decades. But for women, there's a discernible point right in our you know mid-40s where things start to go awry. Like our hormone levels are changing, perimenopause changes so many things. You see a massive amount of body composition change. Then you hit menopause and then there's whole bunch of research after menopause, but not about the healthy female masters athlete or someone who's taking care of themselves, but about how all of a sudden there's a huge influx of metabolic syndrome, diabetes, cardiovascular risk factors, and obesity because of the, the changes that happen in perimenopause. So now the aging research in women is all in the sick aging population, mm. but there's more like a checkpoint and a check <laughs> type of linear or aging rather than that linear aging that you see in men. Yeah. And there's a lot of unpredictability around all of that as well yeah. and individual 100%. responses. The research tends to be around postmenopausal and disease and not yes. necessarily on healthy, active women. And this is where you come in. <laughs> yeah. Because I think the NIH thinks healthy, active women is not that exciting. But I'm like, it's very exciting. I think it's incredibly exciting. I think it's very exciting because there's so many cool things that you can do to improve the health and well-being of all women, especially active women. And the information, there's, again, it's misinformation out there. You see articles on the internet about how, what women should do for exercise as we age. And it's filled with a (gasps) lot of, uh (laughs) uh-huh. Yes. And so, and I fought it too. Like I've seen, I've seen things there, there was a, you know, I do Spartan races and Spartan released an article that I had to go and talk about on my social media. Cause I'm like, what are y'all doing? I actually emailed them directly. They probably won't, won't be thrilled that I'm mentioning this, but I emailed them directly. Cause I had a contact in the editing and I'm like, y'all, what are you doing here? Yeah. Here's a point by point <laughs> breakdown of yeah. what was wrong with this article, but awesome. yeah. So you're welcome. Um, but, <laughs> but, <you>. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it's out, you know, it's happening. It's out there. And, and I'm on a lot of these, you know, Facebook groups where women are posting and they don't know what to do. Like they no. have active lives, but they're dealing with these symptoms and the hormones going haywire and all, you know, the hot flashes and the body composition changes and mood changes and, and they're trying, but, but it's, they're suffering. Like, yeah. 
they don't know what to do. And then a lot of them give up. So let's talk about it. (laughs) Okay. Let's do it. Talk about. So, um, first of all, let's, let's get to the basics because a lot of people don't even know what perimenopause means, what signals menopause. Can we, can we get a quick breakdown of that? Yep. So perimenopause is technically the five to six years before you actually hit menopause. So what that means is in your mid to late forties, your estrogen progesterone levels start to fluctuate and change. So you'll still have regular periods, but you might find that the period bleed shorten or lengthen, they might be lighter or heavier. Um, and you'll have accompanying body composition changes because the ratios of these hormones are changing so much. And each one has a, has a direct systemic effect. So every cell of the body is affected by estrogen progesterone. Menopause itself is just one point in time. It marks 12 months of no periods. After that is a new biological chapter for women. It's called postmenopause. So we have three discernible points of time where we have that five to six years before menopause, which is perimenopause. Menopause is like the birthday of the rest of your life because it's a one day. And then we have postmenopause, which a lot of women spend most of their life in postmenopause. So right there, it clarifies the definitions. And, and because many people don't know, like, Maybe they don't even know what perimenopause is. I'm just, I'm in menopause. Like, yeah. So this clarifies everything. Menopause is one day. (laughs) Menopause is one day. One day. Happy menopause day. Okay. So, you know, women who have not been active, say, and are starting to get active in their 40s, 50s, 60s, what are key things, or maybe women who have been active and are living through perimenopause, moving into postmenopause. Um, what are key things this population should be focusing on that they may not be hearing about in the gym from their trainers in the media? What should, what yeah. should they be focusing on? Um, so the two big things you could start, if you're just starting to get into exercise, it's resistance training and it's not the, uh, 10 to 12 reps, three sets, um, lightweight, five, five pound dumbbells. Yeah. None Love of that. that. None of that. Um, because it doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't, it's not a strong enough stress to actually build lean mass. It might give you a little bit of a cardiovascular workout, but not the kind that you want. And it doesn't create any kind of neuromuscular change, meaning that we want a really strong neural signal to the muscle to recruit more fibers for a strong contraction because we, that's how we develop power. That's how we maintain the integrity of the muscle mass. So we should be looking heavy and this is zero to six reps where you're looking at maybe five sets of that. And I say zero because by the time you get to your fourth set, you're not able to complete all of them. So you're like, okay, I can do three sets of six, then I might do the, you know, a set of four and then a set of three, but it's a good form. So it's not nutrient depleting. It's all about that neuromuscular stimulus and a very strong stimulus to develop lean mass. You won't get bulky. This is a big thing, especially in our age group, because we grew up in that whole Kate Moss era and the Jane Fonda, you know, and yep. everyone's afraid of getting bulky. Don't have enough I mean, that's the law. That's the longstanding myth for women in exercise oh, period. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Totally. Cause we don't necessarily have enough anabolic properties from our hormones to make us bulky, unless you have a very strong genetic component. Um, 
So yeah, it's not about being bulky. It's about being strong. And in that you also will help with your bone mass. Um, Because we know that running isn't enough. We need multi-directional stress on the bone. And part of that's heavy lifting. Part of that's jumping or plyometric work. And then the other thing that we really have to think about is the polarized cardiovascular training, where we're doing the top, top end, high intensity sprint interval training, where you're like 20, 30 seconds full gas, and then really, really low, low end recovery. So that would be one kind of session. And then if you are someone who loves endurance, then going out and doing a very easy, easy, easy um, run or ride or something like that, where your heart rate is super, super low, where you feel like you're a little bit embarrassed because you're going so like I might be, I might, might as well walk. Yeah. But you're not, <laughs> but you're not, you're the still walkers might pass you, but you're still, you're still walking. <laughs> you're still running. That's and that's probably all of this is often counterintuitive to what women think they should be doing, especially if say you sign up for a race and you're like, well, now I gotta, I gotta do my couch to 5k. I gotta do my running or you know, I, I talk to a lot of women that, you know, again, they're new to fitness. They haven't been working out. They want to get fit, maybe lose some weight, whatever their goal is. So they're like, well, I got to change what I eat and do cardio. And that's usually like the way it goes. Right. And these are women in their forties and beyond. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, can you talk about why that is a problem and why resistance training is the unlikely the solution, the, you know, the unlikely solution they are not thinking of and, and how yeah. they will get the results they're looking for doing what you yeah. suggest. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we are all still trying to break through that mentality of calories in calories out. So, you know, people are like, Oh, if I get fit and trying to lose weight, I need to burn a lot of calories, but you can't, you cannot physically burn enough calories to stimulate weight loss. You have to change up with food and then get a strong, high stress from exercise to then create a metabolic signal to lose weight and particular body fat. And you don't do that with long, slow endurance stuff. For one, women are already um, predisposed to being able to go long and slow based on proteins that are in our muscles that allow us to use more free fatty acids. And we have uh, ability to lose our fast twitch, our power fibers, and just maintain the slow twitch. So we're very endurance by nature. That's why you see so many, so many ultra running women. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like 
older women tend to excel at older running. I know. Slow, <laughs> slow, slow. That's what people gravitate to because that's what physiologically their body is starting to fall into. But for health and performance, we don't want to do that. We want to hit it hard with high intensity because that keeps us in that power and, and speed mode. Um, it also encourages blood glucose control. It encourages us to our bodies to have more overall metabolic control. And with that, we also get the stimulus to lose that deep belly fat, that visceral fat that comes on with perimenopause and menopause. So that high intensity work is a metabolic signaling to lose that extra body fat. And because it's so high intense, you can't maintain a lot of volume and you don't need to. Even if you're looking for cardiovascular fitness, we know that doing high intensity sprint training gives you much better cardiovascular outcomes than doing long, slow 30 to 40 minute steady state, moderate intensity stuff. And then when we talk about resistance training, super, super important, not only for just maintaining high quality of life to be strong and have strong bones, but again, we're looking at keeping mobility. We're looking at staying injury free. We're looking at being able to have the strength to run because you're putting extra pounding through your skeletal system every time you take a step running. If you're looking to do obstacle course racing and you need to jump over things and climb things, right? You need that strength. That's why I do well. I mean, for a number of reasons, that's why I do my strength training. That's why I lift yeah. my, my heavy weights. So yeah, <laughs> but exactly. and why with my with my clients who are training for obstacle races, we program strength training for that exactly. Very reason. Yeah. So, yeah, and there's so many people who are like, oh, I should get to the gym. Oh, I'll just do some body weight squats and some push ups, and that is not adequate. That's still tapping into that moderate to low intensity. It doesn't do anything doesn't increase that neuromuscular um, conversation with the muscle to have a strong contraction to maintain that lean mass. It's not high enough intensity to stimulate any kind of satellite cell, which is how we develop more muscle mass. So we have to look at what are we doing in training that's going to take the place of what those hormones used to do. Because estrogen is anabolic, you lose estrogen, you lose a really strong stimulus for building lean mass. Progesterone is responsible for um, what we call glute 4 activation. So this allows sugar to come into the muscle without using insulin. So progesterone is, is really important for metabolic control. We lose that. We become more insulin resistant. We start to have high blood sugar. Um, and so when we're doing that high intensity work, and we're doing resistance training. It is that metabolic signaling to be able to maintain health and build lean mass and bone without those hormones. Yeah. And let's talk about some of the other symptoms that come on during perimenopause that, again, when I'm in these Facebook groups, it's like people are so frustrated. It's like, I, I can't deal with these hot flashes. I can't deal with the mood changes. You know, of course, they get frustrated with the belly fat. And, and you know, that also comes from decades of being conditioned that you need to be thin. Um, right. And so dealing with with that on, on top of it. Um Let's talk about movement and exercise and, and the specific modalities you mentioned and the role they play in mitigating some of these symptoms. Can you, can you address that? Yeah. So when we talk about hot flashes, um, it's really still a little bit of a nuance. No one's a hundred percent sure what causes it, but there is the conversation. There's a misstep between, um, the hypothalamus understanding what's happening with the core temperature, because when we lose estrogen, 
we lose um, vessel compliance, meaning that um, estrogen is very essential for our vessels being able to expand and contract. And when we lose estrogen, the vessels become very stiff. And when you start to build up a little bit of heat and the vessels can't expand to let the blood flow to get rid of the heat, then the hypothalamus has a, a sensation that you're building up too much heat. So it sends out the signal, oh, we got to sweat. And so this is one of the precursors for their, your hot flash, where because your vessels are becoming less compliant, blood flow isn't changing as much as it used to. So then your hypothalamus is going, whoa, it needs hot. And it's not necessarily a temperature thing. It's the blood flow, blood it's, distribution. It's like thing. a weird signaling brain body signal exactly. thing. Yeah, exactly. But if we're doing that high intensity work, then that high intensity creates a huge blood flow shift rather rapidly, which keeps the vessels compliant. So then when we're doing high intensity work and we have that vessel compliancy, it reduces the effect of hot flash. It also reduces the signaling of the hot flash because the vessels stay compliant and are used to big blood flow shifts. When we are looking at like brain fog and mood changes, these are these are all more neuromuscular or not neuromuscular, sorry, neurotransmitter related uh, because when we have big upswings of estrogen, which happens with perimenopause, we end up with a lot of estrogen in the brain, which stimulates serotonin. And a lot of people are like, hey, great serotonin. It's calming. It lets you sleep well. But when you have too much activated, it causes a bit of anxiety. And then when estrogen suddenly drops, which happens in perimenopause because we have these big fluctuations, high estrogen, not countered by progesterone, drops off, we get depression, we get anxiety. And it can just go from day to day because estrogen is pulsatile. So you might have a big surge and a little surge. And so your neurotransmitters are always going, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on? And you don't have progesterone coming in to counter it because progesterone in the brain is calming and it produces more dopamine. So when we lose progesterone, we have these mood switches that happen so rapidly. So when we talk about um, like how does exercise help with that? If we are doing more high intensity work and resistance training work, it releases more of the endorphins that actually help with the serotonin and help with this changeover of estrogen serotonin. And by increasing the amount of protein that we're having in and around our training as well, we're boosting the amount of leucine that is in our system. And leucine uses the same receptor site as tryptophan to get into the brain. And the reason why we want that is because tryptophan also converts to serotonin. Mm -hmm. So if you have a lot of tryptophan circulating and no leucine to counter it, then you increase that serotonin in the brain. But if you're dumping a lot of leucine in the body at regular intervals by lots of protein at regular intervals, you counter it. You know, we talk about exercise, but it's also the nutrition to match it. How do we mitigate some of these symptomologies through nutrition? And it's the regular doses of protein to keep leucine up, circulating. We know that, you know, if you are carbohydrate oriented, don't be afraid of carbohydrates, but have it in and around your training. And that actually helps you hit high intensities, helps you lift heavy because your body needs carbohydrate then, helps with recovery. And then if you are trying to lose weight, it's not about dialing back the calories. It's about fueling for what you were doing and then mitigating what kind of carbohydrates you're having later in the day. So you're having more fruit and whole grains and veggies with lean protein and no no, like bread and pasta and more simple carbohydrate type thing. Right. Which sounds far more reasonable than massive 
food and carbohydrate restriction, which is what many women gravitate towards. I know. And Can we say intermittent fasting? Let's talk about it. <laughs> and you, 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 you come out swinging uh, when it comes to fad diets, uh, intermittent fasting, keto. You know, you have a very strong stance about that. And again, women have been conditioned by diet culture, especially you know, women in our forties, fifties, and beyond. This has been going on since the nineties, since the fat-free nineties, and oh. Snack well cookies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so this is decades and decades of conditioning that, you know, we need to restrict, we need to cut out entire food groups. We need to, and now we're into things like keto and intermittent fasting and it sounds sexy. Um, and, but people don't know much about it. And, you know, again, we talk about the research on it that hasn't been done on women. And this is something you have dug into. So can you talk a little bit about, these diets and other things that women tend to do that nutritionally that maybe they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fan of fad diets because I see it across the age groups of people doing fad diets and ending up in low energy availability, or they're having uh, a perturbance in some of the metabolic control for keeping their thyroid up. So a lot of the problems that we see women complaining about with low metabolism or wanting to use fat burners, all that kind of stuff comes from not eating properly. And we're designed to move all the time. And if we're designed to move all the time, our body needs a certain amount of calories coming in all the time. Um, When we look at what's happening with intermittent fasting, because the body in Western societies becomes so sedentary and not moving all the time, but calories are cheap and people are eating all the time and there are no set meals. Um, intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating has come back into vogue because of the health benefits it portrays, or I shouldn't say portrays, it actually gives you, where you have a certain amount of time where you're not eating and the body can focus on repairing itself. Um, but when we look at exercise, exercise does the same thing. Like exercise is a really strong stimulus to break the body down, but it's also a very strong stimulus to help repair it. So when you start looking at both of them together, that it's a mistake. But not only that, when we're looking at intermittent fasting, women do so much better in a fed state, not in a fasted state. And this is irregardless of age. And the reason for that is in the brain, in the hypothalamus specifically, there are two areas of neurons called kispeptin. Um, in women, but only one in men. And when you look at the intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, most of the data comes from men, primarily obese or diabetic men who needed to lose weight quickly to for surgery or for metabolic control. They started putting some sedentary obese women in, and they're finding that they would lose some weight, but instead of getting a more parasympathetic drive and relaxed and focused, they're becoming more sympathetically driven. So that means that they're very anxious. They also don't get any blood glucose control, which is what you find in the male data. You also don't have any autophagy, which is what you find in the male data. So all the stuff that we're hearing about intermittent fasting is all based on male data. But when we start looking at the female data and looking at what's happening in women, especially active women, it's very counterintuitive because when women are doing fasted training, it drives the cortisol up. You have a higher baseline of cortisol, which means you have a greater stimulus for putting on belly fat. 
you have a perturbance in your kisspeptin because the threshold for low calorie is so much more sensitive in women than men. So what does that do? Resting metabolic rate down by turning down your thyroid and shutting off your endocrine system. And then we have things like metabolic control. So we don't get increased blood glucose control. We actually get uh, high glucose and more insulin resistance because women are not designed to do fasted exercise. We're not designed to have these long periods of fasted stuff. And when we look at ketogenic diets, very similar, where it has to do with the threshold of sensitivity for um, food intake and the fact that women's bodies are already designed to use a lot of fatty acids. So we don't have to teach bodies to use fatty acids. It's already there in the muscle. It's already there from all the estrogen we've been exposed to throughout our lives. And then when we layer in the exercise standpoint, again, like I said earlier, like exercise is a significant way to improve your life and give you longevity. And the whole thing is fuel for what you're doing, move. And if you want to do some of the fasting, you just don't eat after dinner and then have breakfast. So you have a, a 10 to 12 hour fast where your body is going to do a significant amount of repair during sleep when it's supposed to a more natural window yeah. for such a thing. Yeah. Exactly. And, and a side effect of all this, when you shift your thinking to fueling for your activity, it creates a more positive relationship with food on the whole, Definitely. which I know many women struggle with. So Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you see women struggling where they're like, oh, I get up, I go to the gym at 5.30 in the morning before my kids, and I'm always tired, I'm a little bit hungry, but I've been told I need to do this fasted training. So they go to the gym and their workout is, is shit because they're tired, they're hungry, cortisol is elevated, they can't hit the intensities of the metrics they want in their gym session, they feel bad about themselves, they come home, they delay eating because they're probably still in their fasted window, try to get the kids out to school, try to get to work. And then when they get to work, they're hangry. So what does that do for their colleagues, right? So how good are you as a, as a worker or trying to be a manager or a leader if your body is like, I can't go on, I need some food. So there's a repercussions as well. And I see it all the time. Like, just yeah, eat, just, just eat, eat a little bit. Your yeah. body's designed to have food. It's mm -hmm. fuel. It's designed to move and you need to fuel that movement. Exactly. So, yeah. And, and you'll feel better and you'll be a better human. It's right. You do. I want to talk about recovery because uh, that's an important topic for midlife and aging women. And I think it's, it's often a missing piece for a lot of us. Uh, can you talk about some recovery practices that would benefit women in general that maybe we're not doing and particularly aging women's population? Yeah. Um, so Recovery is interesting because you have a, an acute recovery, which is like right after exercise, and you have chronic recovery, which is how your body responds week in, week, week, end, week out, not on the weekend. And, <laughs> That's when some people um, recover. <laughs> I know. I was like, hmm, there's no school on the weekend, so it's not recovery. Um, <laughs> But when we look at like acute recovery, doing cold water immersion or cold water exposure post-exercise is really beneficial for women um, because after exercise, women's vessels tend to expand. So you vasodilate and all your blood goes to your hands, your feet, the lower part of your legs, your arms. It doesn't say central. Where men vasoconstrict, so all their blood goes back to their heart. So then their heart is flushing out a lot of stuff quickly. 
if we do cold water immersion as women, then we get that constriction response. So instead of all the blood pooling on the outside or, you know, in the periphery, and we don't have the stimulus to circulate blood to get rid of all the waste product from exercise, our recovery is slower. Cold water immersion, do that constriction, boom, facilitates recovery. Um, when we talk about mo mobility and nutritional aspects, so our nutrition window for post-exercise, we want to have good amount of protein, 30 to 40 grams post-exercise um, within 30 to 40 minutes. The reason for that is our baseline comes back when we reach our baseline, then 90 minutes where men have a longer window. We also know that women need more circulating amino acids from the protein to help with recovery, as well as to help with neurotransmitter and central nervous system fatigue. Because women preferentially burn fat and amino acids during exercise, where men do carbohydrate and then to fat. So even our, our fueling is different. When we think about the chronic recovery, especially in the mid 40s, where we're all highly stressed, we might be top in our job, we have kids, we have older parents, so there's all these life stresses. Plus, we're trying to exercise for our own benefit. Maybe we're Competitive, maybe we're not, but there's an aspect of that drive of wanting to exercise on purpose. We need to start implementing more parasympathetic responses. So this is something like every day finding five to 10 minutes, sit quietly, could be under a tree in the sun if you're lucky enough to be in the Northern Hemisphere now, and just feeling what a breeze feels like and just concentrating on that for quietness first thing in the morning where you're just doing a little bit of mobility work and no one's talking to you, you're just focusing on one thing so that you can take that feeling of what is that one thing that's calming you down and that focus with you. So when you start to get stressed, you take a step back, back and bring that in. I know a lot of people, um, especially in the yoga set, talk about it as being mindfulness, but it's not really mindfulness to say, it's just taking that one step and that one focus to bring you back to be able to trigger a parasympathetic instead of a sympathetic drive. So it's like creating a trigger, a, a yeah. nervous system yeah. trigger. Exactly, exactly. And we want to also take care of our soft tissues because as we have these perturbations in our hormones, women tend to have more soft tissue injuries, more niggles, um, stiffer joints might mm -hmm. feel painful in your joints, not being able to jump. So we have to really look at mobilizing. So this is where something like uh, Kelly Sturrett's work with the bands comes in. So you're opening up the joint capsules you're getting a lot of movement in and around the joints so that you're able to keep fluid going and working there so that the, the joints don't stiffen up so much. Um, really looking at foam rolling, looking at good protein intake, staying hydrated. All these are super important because we need to maintain soft tissue integrity as well. Um, so when you're doing trigger point and foam rolling, it also works to um, trigger that parasympathetic response too, because now you're flushing and relaxing. And this is why things like trigger point massage work so well, because it's activating that parasympathetic response. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so important to, to activate that. And yeah, it's probably not happening my, enough for a lot of women. No, my friend Jeff, <laughs> she's like, it's a good thing as you get older, you don't have to do a long, slow distance because you have to do so much other shit just to keep going. It's like, I know. It's true. <laughs> Yeah, who has time? Who has time? I know. For a long run? 
when you're doing all this trigger point and I know. Water, like, yeah. cold water immersion. And <laughs> so there you go. Things change. There, there you go. go. There you go. There's a reason for it. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about the next book. Um, oh, yeah. Which, if for those who've been listening to Season Athlete for a while, I interviewed your co-author, Celine Yeager, a while back. I wish I had the episode number in my head so I could reference it, but it's there. Um, but uh, she got me all excited because she spilled the beans. I was like, are you even supposed to be talking about this? But she spilled the beans that you are, well, I, I would say writing, you're like pretty much done with the follow-up to Roar. And for those who don't know Roar, um, Brief, brief synopsis for those who don't know what Roar is. Most of my listeners should know by now because I'll talk about it. But what what is Roar and what is coming next? Um, so Roar is pretty much everything that I've ever researched and have found and researched that benefits women. And Celine has taken all the science he's speaking and put it into. So it really just talks about uh, how to eat, how to train if you are going to puberty, if you're pregnant, if you're postpartum, if you're perimenopause, if you're premenopause, if you're using oral contraceptive pill or not. So it's pretty much all the things you want to know about women's physiology in different life phases and how to complement it with training and nutrition. It's also some things about biohacking to improve different performance and, and sleep metrics and gut microbiome. And then there's one small chapter in there on menopause. Um, and that tended to get a lot of questions. And then as you get older and you see friends and people ask questions and you start doing the research and realize, wait a second, there's no real information out there for people like us who are still active and competitive and want to keep maintaining our active lifestyle. And it was also around the time where I was still at Stanford and and I worked for Marcia Stefanik, and she is the principal investigator for the Women's Health Initiative, the WHI, that um, did a lot of studies in older postmenopausal women and hormone replacement therapy. And I was like, well, what about the younger women? What about, and didn't get those answers either. So again, you know, asking those questions. So when we started getting all these questions about perimenopause and menopause, we're like, we need to write a follow-up. We need to write specifically about this population because they're women who are going in so many different directions and they're not getting the right information and they're working really hard to maintain their physique or their competitive drive or just be healthy and they're doing everything wrong. Because if you look at the general recommendations of 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity a week, that's exactly the wrong thing that people should be doing. And so that's where this new book comes in. It's all about perimenopause, postmenopause, talking about HRT, alternatives to it, training, nutrition, case studies, what to do, action plans, all sorts of stuff. I'm so excited. This I is, know. I mean, this is huge information. So Celine called it Roar the Cougar Edition. She talked about it. That was, I, I'm guessing, a working title. Yeah, we got knocked back on oh, that. Oh, stupid publishers and their pushback and their insistence. I know. On we still don't have an official title yet. Oh, man. <laughs> because we want Roar back and the publishers want something different and we don't like what they want. So we're still pushing. And once we find out the title, I'll be putting it out there. Yeah. I, it's, I love being able to share this information because it's not publicly 
talked about yet. And I know that's been, you know, it's been a question with people who've read Roar who are, you know, in their 40s, 50s, 60s. It's like, I wish there was more information on aging athletes. And now now there's a whole new book coming just for us. So it's really exciting. You did the exclusive. How exciting. I'm getting the scoop the second time. So I know. I love dropping this scoop on this podcast. So Roar the Cougar Edition, unofficial title. Uh, when do you think it's coming? Um, I'm hoping for beginning of December, but I've also been told it might be beginning like uh, end of February, March, because it depends on what the publisher likes to do. They don't usually like to drop new books in December or January, but I'm hoping that we'll just sneak in in the last part where they do push it out at the very beginning of December. So somewhere towards the end of the year. Yeah. I know it would be on a lot of holiday wish lists if it came out in time. Uh, yes. So I would be sending a lot of them out. I'm sure. I'm sure. But yeah, I am anxiously awaiting ever since I heard the news from Celine, which was last year, I think she yeah. told me about it or early this COVID. year. Um, I know. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's coming and we're all excited about it. Um, so yay, I'm glad we could continue to, to spread the word on that and get people excited. So, um, before we wrap up, first of all, I'm so glad that you've been able to take the time. We had some technical difficulties getting started, cross-continental yeah. mercury and retrograde technology issues, but we made it. But happen. it worked out. But it worked, it worked out, out. And I'm so glad because this has been an amazing conversation. Uh, before we go, I always ask this question of everybody that's on the show. So if you've listened, you know that's coming. Um, if you could leave us with one parting piece of wisdom, what would that be? Trying to remember. I told my daughter last night because she, my daughter was all wrapped up in what other people thought of her. And I was like, it's a temporary blip in time. So if someone makes you feel bad about yourself, just walk away. There's no room for bullies. There's no room for people who feel like they're better than you. Life is too short for that. So, you know, live your life and do what you want to do. And yeah, don't hang out with bad people. Not, not good. And how old is your daughter? Nine. Sister nine. So that was advice you gave to a nine-year-old, but I think it's valid for anyone of any age. Women of all ages deal with these levels of insecurity and and putting other people's opinions ahead of their own. And yeah. And so this is useful advice for for anyone of any age. I don't understand why women are mean. Like you see it on the playground, right? And you have these little girls that are mean to each other. I'm like, wait a second. No, like you have your whole life to be mean to each other. Like I got out of a couple of situations because I had bullying bosses for women. I was like, I I don't want to hang out with and be pushed into some kind of horrible feeling about myself because of another woman who's being a bit of a bully because she can be. I'm too old for that. And it starts so young. I'm like, what? No, don't be mean to each other. It just doesn't make sense. We have to band together and not be mean. Yes. And and I think, you know, you're working to create a culture of helping women feel better about themselves, helping helping women feel stronger. You are living that in all of the work that you do, and that spreads. So, hopefully. you know, hopefully this is a vehicle to spread that message as well. So I hope so. Yeah. And then yeah. finally, how can people find out more about you, learn more about you, maybe take one of your courses, which I highly recommend, um, or get one of those books, Roar or the Cougar Edition? Yeah. <laughs> um, so our website is has been revamped and is out. So drstacysims.com and it has stuff about me, all the media stuff. 
um, all the course information. We're also doing mini courses, so little micro learning units on specific topics. Um, and then social media on Instagram and Facebook is Dr. Sensei Sense. And, and you, you all have- three of those will keep us updated. Yeah. And, and, uh, your Instagram highly recommended, like you will learn so much just by following yeah. posts that Stacy posts about all of the things she talked about here today. Yeah. Um, Thanks. we really condensed it, but you post stuff about that all the time. And there's just you, these knowledge bombs that you drop that are so useful for women of all ages and especially the midlife and aging, the perimenopausal and postmenopausal population where we need this information and we're not getting it elsewhere, but that is changing and you're a big part of that. So you're you're on the forefront and you're a leader of that. So um, definitely people need to follow you on social media and, um, and you have a membership too, right? Yeah. Yep. And we're dropping all the, um, the new mini courses first in the membership before we make them available to the general public. So yeah, that's it. Awesome. Well, Stacy, thank you so much for coming on seasoned athletes, sharing your knowledge with us, dropping your seasoned athlete knowledge. I know, you know, people are coming out of this episode learning so much and hopefully it changes how we think about how we exercise, how we train, how we eat, how we recover so that we can live you know, active athletic lives for decades to come, which is what seasoned athlete is all about. So I know I love it. Yes. So thank you once again for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Seasoned athletes. If you've fallen out of your fitness routine and the idea of jumping back in feels as daunting as putting together a work presentation the night before you have to present it, I have a fun freebie for you. Introducing the off the couch starter pack. Inside this free download, you'll find six days of strategically programmed workouts and recovery sessions for any fitness level, all designed to get you up, get you moving, and get you excited about working out again. I paired every workout and recovery session with its own hand-curated Spotify playlist to ensure that you're moving with joy every step of the way. Because that, my friend, is how you get fired up to get back into fitness again. So if you're looking for a way to open that door that's been closed for far too long and to do it in a way that's simple, effective, and fun, download my free off-the-couch starter pack now through the link in the show notes or at robinleggett.com slash bycouch.